Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, Deputy Features Editor at Billboard and Broadway fan in charge here. So earlier this year, I was really excited when I heard that there was going to be a new production off-Broadway of the show Smokey Joe's Cafe. I actually grew up listening to the album of this show, but I realized that I had no idea what it would be like on stage. I had only ever heard it. So the score is the sort of cornucopia of pop music by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. If you know pop music history, you know the duo of Lieber and Stoller. They are one of the most famous songwriting teams ever. Uh, They wrote hit after hit after hit through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s for the likes of Elvis Presley, The Coasters, The Drifters, and Benny King. Hound Dog, Stand By Me, Love Me, Charlie Brown, Spanish Harlem. They're all by Lieber and Stoller. All in all, they wrote over 70 chart hits, and they've been inducted into both the songwriters and rock and roll halls of fame. All of those songs, and many, many more, are in Smokey Joe's Cafe, which actually won a Grammy Award back in the 90s for its original cast recording. But this is not a jukebox musical. It's what's known as a musical review. So that means that while, yes, the score is entirely comprised of music written by a particular artist or songwriter, there's no plot that has been concocted to connect the songs uh, or to give them a reason for existing on stage. In Smokey Joe's Cafe, you're really just watching talented performers sing great songs and dance for about 90 minutes straight. I wasn't sure what to expect from this show. Uh, I was aware of other musical reviews that are considered excellent, including a few uh, with Stephen Sondheim's music and more recently, a really great one is Jason Robert Brown's Songs for a New World. But I have never seen one on stage. And I have to admit, I was worried I would find it kind of boring with no real plot. But when I walked out of Smokey Joe's Cafe with my friend who had come with me, we were both like smiling from ear to ear and repeatedly saying to each other, That was the most delightful thing ever. It was so great. It was so delightful. (laughs) Um, There was something really amazing about just letting these songs speak on their own. Uh, And that's an idea that I enjoyed exploring with my guests this week. Uh, Current Smokey Joe's Cafe cast members, Alicia Umfrist and Dwayne Cooper, and the show's director and choreographer, Joshua Burgos. 
I have to say, because I like giving a shout out to the Dearly Departed show Smash on this podcast as much as I can. Josh uh, actually did most of the choreography on Smash. Uh, So these are all artists who, in one way or another in their careers, have acted or been involved in big Broadway musicals, but they all agreed that there is something different and really valuable to musical theater in a show like Smokey Joe's Cafe. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. Well done. Uh, <laughs> now that that's over, uh, who are you people sitting here with me? Um, I'm Josh Bergas, and I'm the director choreographer of Smokey Joe's Cafe. I'm Dwayne Cooper. I'm one of the cast members of Smokey Joe's Cafe. And I'm Alicia Umfress. I'm also one of the cast members of Smokey Joe's Cafe. <laughs> this is this is like the the first show I've had on the podcast where you you don't have an actual character name. You are a person who sings in the show. Technically, our character names are our names. Mm-hmm. So I play Alicia, ah. a role I was born to play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah, and I play Dwayne. You know, for for those who are familiar with the show, they probably recognize me as the bass. Yeah. Yeah. Or just familiar with your voice right now. Oh, oh, my voice right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a a show that I, as with many people, I think go back with. I remember like my mom playing the soundtrack in the car, like when I was growing up. And these are certainly songs that I think have deep, deep resonance for a lot of people, judging only by all of the sounds in the audience the (laughs) night that I was there, uh, which I want to hear your reactions to later. But, um, you know, as as theater people, like, what is the reputation of this show? uh, What it was sort of your personal histories with it coming to it? Um, Well, I actually... Uh, knew the soundtrack, uh, the cast recording, original cast recording, and I had seen the DVD that they made, but um, I never saw the show live. And, you know, it blew me away when I saw the DVD. And then I also choreographed a couple of regional productions. So I got to know the show pretty well, got to know the, the material of that original production pretty well. And I hadn't moved to New York yet when it was performing, you know, the show. And I, my mom actually used to date one of the drifters. What? Yes. What? Uh, Bill Pinckney, yeah. And so <laughs> that's how I got my start. I, and I always wanted to be a part of it because the music was always a part of my DNA of sorts. You that's know, incredible. Up. Yeah. Oh, and my I, God. It's also how I got my equity card doing oh, Smokey wow. Joe's. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have any... Uh, I mean, I, I had seen the DVD... And I obviously growing up as a musical theater nerd child, I had the cast recording. So I listened to that a lot, but um, maybe I'd seen it regionally, but I had never done it. I think I did Woman in a Recital once in college. It was also one of those great shows where they feature so many African-American people. Mm -hmm. It's like a rite of passage for me to to be a part of it. Yeah, no, it's incredible um, in that way for sure. I was thinking of like these two... Well, I now think of them as old white guys, but they like wrote so much amazing music for black singers like over so many years. Like that's a huge part of of their canon for sure. When I left the show with my friend, we were like, that was just like 90 minutes of pure delightfulness. Like it's just 90 minutes of great music, great performances. And I realized that the idea of a musical review is not something that we see super frequently on Broadway or close to Broadway anymore. Is is this show kind of a trailblazer in that way, or is it part of kind of a 
lineage of shows like this. Well, it's funny because they say, you know, it was it's kind of like the original jukebox musical. Um, but instead of trying to shoehorn these songs into positions that had to tell a story or or take give a character arc um they just did it as a review which that way the songs can you can just appreciate the songs for what they are and um i think it works better that way yeah because you're not trying to create a plot around pre-existing songs that maybe don't have a very dramatic narrative, you know, right. like, or they just are standalone. Right. So it almost, yeah, I think it, there are few that sort of really succeed in m- propelling the story further because they weren't written for that purpose. And in this, it's just kind of like, yeah, every song is its own story. You're able to just enjoy the numbers, enjoy the songs and not expect more out of them. Not yeah. expect, well, what, what does this mean? Why are, you know, this doesn't really make sense here or, there's no there's no rules about it. Right. Yeah, it's almost like a, a book of short stories, and it's forty short stories. So every song is its own little journey mm-hmm. and adventure and story, and I think it's great. That's such a great way to describe it because yeah. what what occurred to me was I actually think this is very different from a jukebox musical, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I think that the songs and the actors, in a way, have to do seem to me seem to have to do a lot more work because of that. Like you don't have a narrative that's kind of carrying you along. And short stories is such a great analogy because they're each like a little drama. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. wondered if as actors, that's like an extra challenge to you or very different from what you would have to accomplish if you were in like a traditional narrative musical. I do find it to be a challenge, but a fun challenge, you know, because each song is different. You know, the idea of having everyone in the neighborhood together to showcase those songs is great. But it's nice to have your own take of what the song means for you. You know, and I think people really gravitate to that expression of what you're trying to convey in the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think especially what Josh has done so brilliantly in this version is, you know, we've really done things differently than in the original, and songs are assigned not necessarily to, oh, you're playing the Dilly track or you're playing the Ken track. Right. It's like we're playing the Alicia track, and so I'm not doing exactly what they did in the original. It's like a new sort of palette um and i think that we've been able to sort of take songs in way different directions and so certain times people will be expecting one thing and then it's like completely different from what they want which is the true sense of a revival i think why do a revival unless you're going to make it fresh and interesting and different and um now well you know um part of that came out of almost necessity because um the original production was so good and the people in it were so good, and it was built on them. Right. The whole thing was structured on them. And um, it would be silly to try and cast carbon copies of them because you'll never get that. Yeah. They totally. were so right. singular. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our you know, mission was to find spectacular talent and figure out how do we create this show on them and, and how do we show them off. Literally, how do we exploit their talents? <laughs> that's that's what our, our goal was. And and so that's that's how the the show kind of shaped on you guys. What were the what were the parts of the original production that you wanted to kind of preserve and where did you see Besides with the casting, where did you see opportunities to give this like a different and sort of more 2018 vibe? Well, you know, we wanted to um, it, it's funny in the casting, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had people who could dance, but we weren't. But, you know, we weren't totally um, 
married to that. We were we were thinking, well, if this person who normally would dance, maybe that's not a maybe that maybe it's not a dance track. Maybe a different track is a dance track. Or so we weren't you know we weren't really trying to preserve anything as much as we were just trying to discover what we discover the people and discover what we could do with them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I know our music director is not here, Sonny Palladino. He did a brilliant job at taking those songs and making them fresh for a current generation. You know, like we do an acapella version of Loving You. You know, it's it's a doo-wop style, but um, our take on it is it's fresh. And it just and because we're all youthful looking, <laughs> I think that helps, in, you know, in, in trying to convey the spirit of the music. You know, also... Um, uh, Love Potion Number Nine. It's such a fun, high energy song. You know, it's a, in my opinion, a Tito Puente kind of take on the older version of it. It's hmm. just really fresh and just fun to perform. You know, and I think people really uh, feel that energy when we're performing it. A lot of the, in what you, it's funny. A lot of the versions that we did in this song, in this, in this show, are versions. We went back to the original versions. So actually. It was actually the Drifters did. I think the Drifters did do a version of that uh-huh. with the the um, the the bomb bomb. Yeah, the coasters. Yeah, the coasters. Yes, yeah, 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 the coasters. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So so we kind of went back to a lot, a lot of songs. We would go back and listen to the original, and I think it cha- you know it changed in the 1995 Broadway version, mm-hmm. and I think we decided to go back to the sound the original sound of some of the so the heavy guitar yeah. and the, the the kind of grainy saxophone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really rich it also has that santana feel yeah that people gravitate it, towards oh, yeah, yeah. Really does. yeah yeah i feel like now i need to re-listen to it <laughs> <laughs> well i'll do it right now yeah. <laughs> let's get up let's, let's go <laughs> Well, now now is a perfect time to talk about the music itself and and Lieber and Stoller. Um, I it occurs to me that you don't often, even in the jukebox musical world, hear like somebody's entire catalog in a show to the extent that you do in this one. It's just like even if you know their music going into it, I th- I was still sitting there being like, oh yeah, they wrote this too. <laughs> like seriously, they also wrote this. It's crazy. Um, so. I would love to hear just from each of your perspectives, like what is it about their music that defines it and what about it you think made these songs such hits that like everybody still knows immediately? Okay, I'll start. <laughs> you um, looked like you were yeah, taking I a think, breath. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I will start. Um, the thing that, I mean, the lyrics feel timeless. You know, when you think about songs like Stand By Me, you know, the message of, of having support and love of other people, you know, it's that transcends time, you know, and um, yeah, first and foremost, I mean, I'll probably have more ideas after that, but <laughs> that's what I feel firstly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they just knew how to write hits too, and hits sort of withstand the test of time. I mean, it's exactly like you said, when, um, you're watching the show and that's not even their whole catalog. I remember kind of looking, you know, what is their, you know, I I looked at their Wikipedia or some, some page and there were so many songs on there that I still had never heard of or, you know, weren't included in the show. And, you know, for our version, we've cut it to 90 minutes. And so we've added a couple songs that weren't in the original um, Broadway production and obviously taken some away. And, um, it's still like you still get so much impact from what we when I mean, there's 40 
songs in yeah. it. I mean, it's just so nuts. And, and this music has obviously brought people together. You know, when when we look out into the audience, we see white, black, Hispanic, like different ages. It's like the music is a testament of that. You know, and, and many people today are influenced by this genre of music. You know, I think also it's it's great to be in the audience. Um, repeatedly because I see so many different audiences and I, I watch them react. Um, so sometimes when we have a young, a younger audience, they're, they're very vocal and, um, and, but they know these songs because these songs aren't, aren't just like of a generation. They're of many generations because yeah. they've been recycled through decades. Um, so they know the songs and even if they don't know the songs, they appreciate the performances of them enthusiastically but then then I'll, I'll sit and you know say the next audience I see is uh, you know is an, uh, an older on average audience um, but they they like it they're they're having the best time they're just not as vocal um, but you know sometimes every once in a while you see uh, an older couple grab hands during a song depending on you know yeah oh it's, it's amazing yeah it's wonderful you know and they just love it and then at the end you see how much they really appreciate the show they're just the way they they show their appreciation during the show is different but it's just proof of how many generations of people um can can enjoy this music and enjoy these performances and you know really really uh appreciate the the songs it it feels like the kind of show where you're like allowed to make noise in in the audience which oh, is yeah. like really nice yeah there were the night that I was there. There were these three women who, one much older and two who I may assume maybe were her daughters, in the like very front row on the right. And she was like waving her arms during like every <laughs> song and like whooping. And I was like, this woman is like really living her life right now. And I ran into her in the bathroom afterwards, and I was like, thank you. Watching you was almost as much as fun as watching the show. And she was like, it's my birthday. Oh, it, was, it was the That's best. Great. But it was yeah. It's nice yeah. to see that kind of like palpable joy that it gives people yeah. um i mean also on a, on a basic level i think beyond the sort of the universal themes that everybody mm-hmm. is into like i i think it's worth mentioning that the two of them come from this era of of like classic pop music and this whole brill building world mm-hmm. um that in a way i think is kind of the template for how pop music works today with certain songwriters writing for all the big artists and um it's it's funny to think of that that basically the same thing is happening today even if people are like in sweden and (laughs) (laughs) not all in one place in new york but um but i mean like all the songs i would think especially from a choreographer's perspective josh that they all have like a a good beat there that's a really kind of circular sense of melody that is what gets them in your head yeah yeah i mean they're they they really bring you know they were meant to bring people onto the dance floor I think mm-hmm. uh, when they were originally written and um, uh, so the songs you know not only are they so much fun to choreograph but they almost choreograph themselves in a way you know something something like on Broadway it's like you know you just can't help but to move and you just you know you just start jumping around and pick your favorite moves and then you kind of put it, stitch it together. You have to snap. It's required. <laughs> right. Um, you know, they're really, yeah, they're really, really wonderful songs to dance to. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, they're also, um, as we kind of touched on, um, a lot of them are very associated with specific artists, whether it's the Coasters or Elvis or what have you. Um, so I was curious about for the um, for both of your preparation process, how much of it was about studying these old recordings and thinking about the way the artists did them versus kind of focusing more just on like the lyrics and like your own different kind of performance. Hmm. I mean, I know for me, I sort of took my solo numbers and there were a few references that, you know, I keep forgetting was sort of more like the original, which was really like 70s sound. It was just like, I keep forgetting you don't love me no more. Like really kind of cool and yeah. not Slower like... Slower groove. Yeah, yeah, like not like the one in the original. So I listened to that and sort of, I think that it just sort of helped inform what we ended up doing. I don't think it was sort of a, a copy of that, but I focused more on that. And then I think for Pearl's a singer, we really went away from the one in the original, which kind of goes off at the end and made it a very sort of simple, sad country song. And we actually looked at a Bernadette Peters version um, or she does it on some TV show mm-hmm. in the seventies. Yeah. Oh, and it's really, it's like really long really emotional um and it's like she sings the song through three times i mm. think i mean but it takes you on a journey and so i think we mo- modeled a little bit more off of that rather than the original or the original broadway mm-hmm. you know mike um when we were i think it was i can't i think it was a couple of years ago when we were doing one of the first labs and he said um mike stoller he said um you know i never meant for that song to sound like that speaking of pearl mm-hmm. he never you know and that was the version that they did in the original Broadway was very similar to the one they did, the the, the original pop version mm-hmm. that was recorded. Um, and he said, you know, he always said, it's supposed to be a sad song. I never meant for them to kind of like go crazy at the end. And they, they recorded it that way. And he, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he ever liked it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I just thought about that. And, so, you know, with Sonny, our, our music director, and that's when we just started thinking, well, you know, he's right. And, it, and, and, now it's like a really, really emotional moment in our show because we did the song the way he originally intended. Totally. No, I can imagine like Dolly Parton singing it or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. She would be, a, she would kill yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I um, did my homework. You know, I, I, I studied, you know, Fred Owens, who was the original Fred, the bass, um, in Smokey Joe's, as well as Ronnie Bright, who was one of the singers of the Coasters. And it wasn't until I, really started looking at old footage of Ronnie Bright that I felt like, okay, this is this is meant for me. This is the next journey for me. Because I, for better or for worse, never felt like I was physically right 
for this particular role, you know, and it's um, not about the physical aspect of it. It's more about the singing, you know, but uh, so I was able to do that and add on my own little personality, which folks of you can't see me right now, but when you, when you <laughs> see the show, you will see it. There's a lot of You'll personality. There's a lot of personality. <laughs> so, um, but I wanted to, you know, not stray too far away from the actual bass vocal. You know, I wanted to really honor that sound. Um, and Sonny, our music director, has allowed me to play more and we have new songs. And so it's just really wonderful to have that support, you know, of the team. I was going to say, yeah. more than most people on the show, you have this kind of iconic role almost to live up to. <laughs> <laughs> like the bass, you're like the bass guy in yeah. the song, which always yeah. has the guy who pipes up with like the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's always way down here yeah. the whole time. I think yeah. it, physically you are you are great for the role because you're like uh, this lanky guy and then this voice comes out of well, you thank that you. Like nobody thank expects. You. I've been trying to get that all my life you know, <laughs> at auditions, you know, but Old Man River never could do that. So, yeah. You're a unicorn. <laughs> Yeah. Dwayne, there's yeah. no one like you. Yeah. I will happily listen to your old man river anytime. <laughs> um, I mean, something else that struck me listening to the songs is it, it feels like there is a bit of a, you can trace kind of an evolution in the complexity of their songwriting too over the course of the show. Like there is some of the stuff that just sounds like what I would now think of as kind of like cookie cutter 1950s pop, which probably they were the template for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then a song like Spanish Harlem that I think has, has like a lot more layers to it and is maybe a lot more unusual sounding. Um, I was just curious if that's something that you've thought about or yeah, that you see. Well, that's one of the brilliant things about the show itself is that that's the way it's structured. Um, it's structured, you know, like you start out in the neighborhood, you know, young and, and in love or falling in love and and throughout the show you know you have these experiences um, and then by the end you come back to the neighborhood a little older and a little wiser so it's kind of the the way the show is structured um, from number to number helps give you this journey even though you don't really realize it till the end that you've been going on this journey of the, the audience um, and uh, I think it's it, you know they did that very well in the, in the original production and and we had to rearrange things a little bit because our, our we had different songs and the order had to be different and things but we tried to stick to that original template. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you guys hear it too? As you're, I mean, you're listening to these songs a zillion times. <laughs> <laughs> you must be hearing kind of new things in them from night to night. Yeah, I mean, I, after you. No. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, you know, we're back in the. I mean, especially the the boys don't have a ton of breaks. Yeah, we're, we're, so they're yeah. usually singing everything. <laughs> so they're probably not noticing it yeah. as much. But um, and also, you know, the girls are in the dressing room, and it, we only sort of hear it on the monitor, and mm. we're usually talking about other stuff. We're only talking about the show. Only talking about our it's, it's, it's also the magic of Sunny, you know, with with some of the arrangements too of the songs, like. Mm -hmm. um, which song is the? It's not loving you, with uh, John and Emma. Oh, um, mm -hmm. love me don't. Love, love me, me don't. don't. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a different arrangement and it's so beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, with all of the different harmonies and um, you guys you can attest to that, you yeah. know. But um, it's just, yeah. 
I was Alicia, I was saying to Dwayne before you arrived that I was like very concerned about him hydrating because of the <laughs> amount of sweat I see on the stage. And I was like, Alicia really hasn't made. She comes out, she like belts and brings the house down, and then she kind of swans off and like Don't break a sweat. We see her again for a while. <laughs> Don't break a sweat. <laughs> I want to um, be Alicia. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> no, you're working hard. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, vocally, it's not the easy. It's not easy, no, but no, no, it's no. not like it, no. I mean, physically, that's why I have to go work out every day <laughs> because <laughs> they don't have to work out every day because they do. They do it eight times yeah. a week. That's their workout. Um, no, but I like listening to you too. I was like, oh, I, I hope her vocal cords are getting a, a big rest in between shows. Like, it's you come out and. Well, weirdly, it's almost like if I had my druthers, I would actually put our, I mean, probably you guys would hate this, but I would put our matinee and our evening show, you know, really close together because as a singer, you want to just stay warm. Yeah. And so sometimes, especially on Saturdays, you know, when we have a big break in between, you want to kind of nap or you want, you let your voice warm down and then you have to rewarm it back up again and it's almost yeah. harder in the second show whereas like if the shows were at five and eight you just be like yeah just like bang it out you know do you have a specific warm-up you do for this show um i i'm always from the camp that i'm i'm primarily known as a belter i would say and i don't like to warm up my belts too much because right. it just sort of fatigues it i think more so i mostly just do a lot of like like trills and just like making sure I'm open and you know bigger up there but I'm not a huge warmy uppy person. Uh I do do a small one before every show but it's just to make sure that I basically the juices are flowing and it's up there. But the nice thing about my show is that (laughs) the show (laughs) the first half of the show is my warm up because all of my solos are in the second second half. So I really do get to spend the literal first half of I mean besides Kansas City the first half of the show is a warm up. For me, yeah. so I've been very blessed. <laughs> very, very it, kind it of whoever arranged yeah. that. <laughs> the way That's why I want to be Alicia. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it wasn't like that originally, though. I did have more trouble. Was like up at the front right? when we were yep. yeah. first rehearsing it, but then the way all the chips fell once we, you know, went through previews, and it just kind of worked out that all my stuff was in the second half. But you're such a beautiful storyteller and an amazing singer. All you have to do is stand there. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank no. you. It's, it's true. In, in all sincerity, thank it's the you. truth. Thank you. Yeah. I, I would agree. Well, I, I I know you're not performing, Josh, but you may answer this question as well. Um, you get to sing so many great songs. I was curious if you have a favorite to perform every night and something uh, that is still like the most challenging for you every night. For me, my favorite song is Smokey Joe's Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and because Kyle Taylor Parker, just another beast Star. of a singer yeah like just amazing and Dion's a fabulous dancer and that song she reminds me of Josephine Baker mm. you know and so and I I get to play the chef and be this character in the song and it's You're just Smokey yeah. Joe yeah, I'm Smo- well I'm Smokey Joe that's right y'all I'm Smokey Joe yeah. that's right um, <laughs> so it just has a little bit of everything in that particular number um, my second favorite hmm I would probably say "Loving You," the acapella number. It's the hardest one for me um, because of the the numbers are so are back to back, and it's an acapella number. So um, that's the most challenging for me. He tried to get me to make it yeah. shorter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't breathe, Josh. Can make it shorter. Yeah. Well, that's what's, uh, you, it's funny that you bring up Smokey Joe's. That's one of my favorite numbers in the show, also. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is, because it's the namesake of the show, it wasn't in the original. Yeah. Right. 
Oh, wacky. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So I'm so glad it's in ours because yeah. a, it makes more sense because that's yeah. the name of the show, but also because it's such a fun, funny, yeah. like it's such a great number. It's yeah. one of my favorites for sure. Um, I'd say that and Spanish Harlem are my two favorites that I'm not in. Mm. Um, and I mean, I think my favorite's Pearl, uh, but I do love Trouble. It's just really fun and I get to like have fun with the audience and do some sort of like call and responses, yeah. but that's probably the most challenging just because it's the most vocal it's the biggest workout. It's the biggest pyrotechnic mm. that I have to do. What, about, what was the most fun to work on for you? Oh, gosh. That's a Besides tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, like, I really like them all. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that I can pick a favorite number in the show. I don't think I can. I, I really, I just, I feel so attached to all of them. You know? Probably changes from... Yeah. We'll cover our ears. I think it, I think it probably does, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, and I know, you know, there's a point where we were trying to get the show shorter and, you know, we were talking about, well, what we, you know, we can cut a couple songs and I just couldn't, I couldn't figure out a song that we could cut mm. that I wouldn't, like, cry at night. You know, every night I saw the show missing that song. So, um, luckily we never had to do that. Mm. You'd cry it along came Jones got cut. That's everybody's favorite. That's everybody's favorite. Well, it's like that's like a good reminder, as uh, was Smokey Joe's Cafe, that like a lot of these songs are very funny. Like there's a lot of a lot of humor in them and trouble too. I mean, people laugh as you're singing at certain lines. Like it's funny to think of humor in pop music is like not such a prevalent thing anymore. You think about it, which I think yeah. is what makes our show so inherently theatrical is that we, you know, it's like I said, they're little short stories and we're all actors at the end of the day, mm. you know, performing these songs. So it would make sense to infuse them with humor. And yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I think that I was I was just reading this uh New York Times discussion with their critics about um, jukebox musicals and very nice words for your show. And I think that it's interesting that this this particular production seems to have kind of opened up this new discussion about what a jukebox musical is and whether this format, as we were kind of saying before, might actually be a better way to approach bringing a singer or a performer's catalog in, into shows. I know that you were kind of saying you think it might be better, but do you, I mean, do you guys think that there are, there are big advantages to, to approaching it this way? Yeah, I do. I, I, sometimes I feel like uh, it really depends on who's working on the project to, to bring it of to course. life. You yeah. know, like, it, I, well, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that it really depends on the artist, you know, like that's trying to be covered in the particular show. You know, like um, it's important to keep the music and, and the storyline truthful, but also you know, make it honest and sincere. Does that make sense? No, completely. Yeah. And, you know, I think yeah. one thing about this show is it's a, it's a review of writers, not a, not a, an artist. Mm-hmm. Sure, so writers sure. who wrote a wide range of, of styles of music. And um, I think that's what makes it so successful when sometimes if you pick just an artist, a lot of it is going to sound similar. So you have to find you'll have to find different ways and reasons to change up those change up the sound. Mm-hmm. But I think what I'm trying to say earlier is like when Mike Stoller came into you know 
give us feedback and advice. You know, he gave Josh the freedom to give us the freedom to figure out what works for us. You know, that's not always the case. You know, so in trying to create another jukebox musical, you, you would want that freedom, you know, from mm-hmm. all perspectives so that you can really deliver a product that feels authentic and and honest in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, not so force fed. Yeah, yeah, just it doesn't yeah. have to be shoehorned in to be like, well, we have to include this song because it's one of their biggest hits. Right. And so how are we going to get this in the plot somehow? And then sometimes it's like the song will come in in a jukebox musical and everyone sort of starts laughing because it's like, oh, that's how they managed to get this song in. And, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Whereas yeah, exactly. this, it's like, no, yeah. every song I'll is... Keep all the examples in my yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. But I mean, in this, it's like every song is its own event. So yeah, maybe in a weird way like reviews you know standalone reviews like this and like the one i was just talking about before the podcast (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, are are maybe the new the new jukebox musical with the way they were initially intended to be ain't misbehaving like those types of shows they're just they're sort of a tone i was in american idiot and like while that did have a plot every song it was more like a music video i feel like every song was a music video and it told a story and it did go on a journey, but it was somewhere like a hybrid between what we do and then a classic mm-hmm. book jukebox mm-hmm. musical. Right. And I think that was more successful, too, when you can when every song can be its own thing and mm-hmm. its own tone. And that 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 album was kind of written f- right a, for that. Yeah. It was really mm-hmm. right for that. They, yeah. they had it was like one, a rock opera. one thing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I was just going to say I was a big American Idiot fan and it was because it was like a concept album to begin with that yeah. it on its own felt coherent. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. the 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 story was almost beside the point because there was so much story in the songs themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I walked out of your show saying like, dude, why aren't there more musical reviews? <laughs> so <laughs> so, uh, so hopefully everyone will keep loving it. Oh, of course. Well, Great. thank you for thank having you. us. Yeah. 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 You're thanks doing your part having... by having us here. So. <laughs> I, really try, appreciate I try. I yeah. try. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. They say that I won't last Smokey Joe's Cafe is playing at Stage 42 in New York right now. If you're a fan of the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please give us nice reviews and stars on iTunes, although we're on many other platforms right now, including Spotify and Google Play. If you would like to tweet about the podcast or even retweet uh, the stories that I post about it, please use my handle at Rebecca Millsoff and hashtag Billboard on Broadway. You can find me on Instagram at YouDownWithRMM, and I'll be back for a new episode next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.